everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where we bet more people start diets today than any other day of the year. Yeah, even January 1st. I bet you know five people, frankly, including me, who have started diets today. It's not too late to get back in shape. Yeah, otherwise known as three weeks ago. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, General Manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network on the voice and face of Breaking Bread Oven on Instagram, where we will hopefully be dropping a new video today. So check it out. Stay tuned. Keep your eyes open. You can find me here every Thursday right after Allison and right before Nahum's live lunch, though you haven't heard from me in forever. <laughs> My word. Has it been a million years since I've sat behind the mic or what? Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It feels like Yuntif was forever. I can't believe my keys even work here anymore. But it's good to be back. That is for sure. And even more than that, while the Chagim were great, it's nice to be into a routine. It's nice to be into a rhythm. So much so that it's Thursday here at the Nachum Siegel Network, which means we have a full day of programming packed with new shows, new content. And then, of course, at the end of the day, I get to home, go home and cook for Shabbos. That's correct. Because tomorrow was Shabbos. So, yes, we are back in routine, and being that tomorrow is Friday, it's Shabbos, and we start all over again. Thank God. It is a reminder that promo code radio is still your opportunity to get 10% off at Artscroll, free shipping. You should check out everything at artscroll.com, and make sure to type in promo code radio for your 10% off. Let's do the national holidays. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I have, like, 40 fortune cookies in a bag on my kitchen counter that was next to all my books and my laptop that was charging and everything else. And I brought the books and I brought the laptop and the fortune cookies clearly still remain in the kitchen. So we will table the fortune cookies. No, 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 no need, no need, no need. No need to go to the front. It's a sign from God we should not be doing fortune cookies today. I'm not exactly sure what happened to the fortune cookies I had here. But they're all missing. It doesn't matter. Let's do the national holidays. It is Ask a Stupid Question Day. I'm sure I'll fulfill that by the end of the day. It's International Podcast Day. All right. It's International Translation Day. It's National Love People Day. I do love people, except for those who ask stupid questions. It's National Mold Cider Day. I actually like a good mold cider. It's Recovery Day. It's World Maritime Day. Don't know how to do anything about that. Nothing whatsoever. But I will also remind you that yesterday was National Coffee Day. Why that was yesterday, I have no idea. But as most people saw or many people saw on both Facebook and Instagram, I'm holding two days. I am celebrating it today. I encourage you to do so as well. And it's also, it's one of my favorite times of year. That's right. It has nothing to do with any Jewish holidays. It has nothing to do with the fact that the Jewish holidays are over. It's National Banned Books Week. That is correct. If you go to ala.org slash bbooks, that's the American Library Association website, you can read all about your beloved favorites that have made it onto a variety of different banned book lists over the, over decades. Decades. Decades filled with books that have been banned, books that are on your shelves, that are on my shelves, that are on libraries, that are beloved because they upset somebody. Those are books that include The Diary of Anne Frank, Fahrenheit 451, which of course is about banning books, To Kill a Mockingbird. Burning books, sorry, burning books, burning and banning books. Yes, burning banned books. 
Wow, say that 10 times fast. Harry Potter. If you like Harry Potter, your kids like Harry Potter, you should know that Harry Potter has graced the presence of numerous banned book lists over the last, I don't know, two decades. It was No, 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 sorry. The last decade, obviously, the last decade of Mice and Men. Yes, Of Mice and Men by Steinbeck. That is also on a banned book list. The Outsiders, which is my personal favorite book of all time, not just banned book, but favorite book of all time. And of course, I can't say banned book. Banned book is like impossible to say. It's killing, it's breaking my teeth, but it's worth it. So that I bring and I, I, I highlight this week because I even, I mean, I have a banned book bracelet. Say that 10 times fast. It has title, it has covers of uh, different band books all along all along the bracelet. I can't believe I forgot to wear it today. And also my um, my my personal my personal favorite on the band books list is The Giver by Lois Lowry. And the reason that that is my favorite book on all band book lists is because it was the subject of my master's thesis in English literature from Brooklyn College. Um, and my master's thesis was actually about defending The Giver against the banning of it defending it against being banned. That is correct. So I highly encourage you to go to the American Library Association's website that again is ala.org slash bbooks and check out the variety of different beloved books that you know and that I know that are all on banned, these banned lists. So why am I making such a big deal out of it? Why am I quote unquote celebrating these banned books? Not because I'm trying to be controversial. I'm really not. Or because I'm trying to be subversive, which I'm not. It's just because I celebrate freedom. Freedom to read a book you like and freedom to choose to not read a book you don't like. To choose not to share that book with somebody, to choose not to bring that book home. Doesn't mean we have to ban the book and certainly doesn't mean that we get to burn any books. So again, you don't like it, don't read it. It doesn't mean that I have to go along with it also. And ironically enough, we get to talk now to an author who has penned two beautiful books, two wonderfully beautiful books with incredible, incredible messages. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and I'm joined this morning by Adina Lichtman. Often when I speak to Adina, she's back from some crazy trip in some far-off country, and I'm just happy that she is home back safe. I have no idea where she's been, but of course we know her as the founder of Knock Knock Give a Sock, an organization that she started in college, and I'm so excited to have Adina back on the air. Adina, good morning. Good morning, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely my pleasure, and I hope you and your family are safe and are healthy. Thank you. Thank God we are. Unfortunately, I don't have any super exciting trips to talk about. Uh, COVID banned me from traveling from many of the places I was planning to go. Well, I, I'm actually happy to hear that. It's sometimes, <laughs> I assumed that you've been grounded for a while, but as a result, we have these two wonderful books. So before we talk about the books and the book tour, let's talk about Knock Knock Give a Sock. Remind everyone how it started and tell us where you were before the pandemic hit. Sure. So actually, I started Knock Knock Give a Sock a couple years back when I was in college and I was giving out sandwiches to some of my neighbors on the street. And one of my neighbors on the street said, ma'am, it's so nice you're giving out sandwiches, but one thing we could actually really use are a pair of socks. And I very quickly realized that my pair of socks wouldn't fit him. So I decided to knock on every door on my floor uh, in New York City. And in about 15 minutes, I got over 40 pairs of socks. 
Uh, fast forward to my senior year of college, we spread to over 20 college campuses and collected over 50,000 pairs of socks. Amazing. Now, that's how Knock Knock Give a Sock got started. But what I realized was that all of these people who had given me a pair of socks, who were so giving, who, who cared about the work that we were doing, none of them actually knew the name of one person who was experiencing homelessness. None of them had a personal connection to anybody who was homeless, which led to a lot of questions that were um, very stereotypical, but not in a way where they were meaning to be offensive, right? They were just like, do you know what you're doing is great, but aren't most people who are homeless choosing to be homeless? Or aren't most people who are homeless, you know, using drugs or alcohol or things like that? And what they don't, what they didn't realize, and this is an interesting fact about New York City, street homelessness is actually only 5% of homelessness in New York City. Meaning who you see on the street, that's actually only 5% of homelessness. Most people who are experiencing homelessness are in shelters, and it actually goes, you know, largely unseen and it's very invisible. So my senior year of college, I decided to bring 50 of my college classmates and 50 people living in local shelters to have dinner side by side. And college students said to me, Adina, we can't tell who's homeless and who's not. They're meeting moms who have three kids who couldn't afford childcare, dads who got out of prison, couldn't get jobs afterwards, people working minimum wage jobs, but that doesn't get you out of the shelter system. So now homelessness had a name, face, and story to it. And that's when Knock Knock Give a Sock's mission statement really was born. That's when I realized Knock Knock Give a Sock's mission was to humanize homelessness one sock at a time by turning transactions into interactions. The transactions being these sock collections and the interactions being these meet your neighbor events. Right. So, so, so it's an incredible I, thing that you, the way you transitioned the organization from just, and I use just in quotation marks, but just giving something that plenty of people do. I mean, organizations need money. Organizations like food, like food pantries need cans. But what happens afterwards? What happens beyond the can? What happens beyond that check that the organization receives? That's where you continued thinking. Exactly. And so the last three years, prior to COVID, and then I'll talk about this fourth year of COVID, but um, the last three years prior to COVID, Knock Knock Give a Socks really had three main pillars. One is we distribute half a million socks a year, and we actually even hire people living in shelters to help us distribute those socks. And that's called the Sockless Job Program? The Sockless, close, Sockless Job Program. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, close, but yeah, the Sockless Job Program, exactly. That's the first pillar. The second pillar is these meet-your-neighbor lunches and dinners that we would engage corporate companies and local communities in sitting side-by-side with their neighbors living in shelters. Um, And then the third pillar is we would do one huge holiday carnival every year for over 300 kids living in homeless shelters. Wow. So as you could imagine, once COVID hit, offices weren't doing soft drives, so we couldn't send folks living in shelters to help, you know, that we could hire to mm. do the drop-off pickup. We couldn't do the meet-your-neighbor dinners uh, because no one was in the office and obviously weren't bringing people together in that same way. And our holiday carnival, we were actually able to do, but it had to be postponed. But really, my you know 10 to 12-hour-a-day day job basically went to zero hours a day and hearing crickets. Um, <laughs> you know, there was nothing coming to my inbox. I was like, what is happening? Uh So that's when I really had to think about ways in which we can focus on our mission, 
dehumanizing homelessness because we were still able to distribute socks that were given to us from companies, but we need to figure out a way we could humanize homelessness. Adina Luchman um, joins me this morning here on That's Life. She is the founder of Knock Knock Give a Sock. And you can find more information about Knock Knock Give a Sock by going to knockknockgiveasock.org. We're discussing the different uh, ways, I should say, that organizations in general figured out how to pivot during homelessness. And Adina, you're pivoting once you saw that your inbox was where it was and your uh, daily grind came to a daily halt. Where did you automatically think in terms of of where the organization could go? Where did you think that the organization was headed? So I actually, for a good, in full transparency, for a good six months, um, cried a lot. You know, there was like a whole river that was, you know, <laughs> of tears. And then eventually I uh, floated to my next idea on that river. I joke. But, um, Really, I was thinking. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of complaints on the Upper West Side uh, in New York City of all these shelters that were moving into their neighborhoods, and these neighborhoods that weren't used to having so many shelters, they were all moving into hotels on the Upper West Side, so there would be more space for pe- people living in shelters. And there were a lot of petitions and a lot of families that were angry that didn't really know how to explain homelessness to their kids. I didn't know if it was safe for them to be around anymore. Uh, and that's when I thought, how can we talk about homelessness with families? And another another layer of this is actually, one, right, there were so many people who were living in homes who were having their new neighbors experiencing homelessness around them that families needed to talk to their kids about that. But also, there were going to be so many more families and there still are going to be so many more families that are experiencing homelessness that are moving into shelters for the first time after this pandemic, right. Or during this pandemic who haven't experienced homelessness before. And it's a really scary thing for kids to move into shelters. What does that mean? What does that look like? So I wanted to make sure that we were writing books that were going to speak to both audiences, both kids living in homes and living in shelters similar to the way that at our Meet Your Neighbor dinners, we're speaking to people who are living in homes and in shelters. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I, I first of all, I, and again, I appreciate your transparency, and I can only imagine your heartbreak um, in terms of, of where you were for those six months, emotionally, mentally. I, I, can, o- I, I can only imagine. Did you think that the organization had come to an end? Uh, for sure. And by the way, I, I had been in a place where I was trans- like I, I got engaged and married during COVID. I had one of those micro COVID weddings. So my 400 person wedding got canceled. I woke up every day to really have work to do. There was a lot of, you know, what is next in my life? I don't know where this is going. Uh, and it was also really scary moving into the next stage of life of being married and you know, so much of who I was was based on the work that I did. Uh, so that was really scary. And it was actually my, my now husband who really pushed me. I was thinking, you know what, maybe I'll just wait till this whole thing blows over. It'll probably be another six months. I'll just take art classes and volunteer and, you know, kind of do my own thing. And he said to me, I don't know what the answer is, but I actually believe that if you're not doing your work, you're not going to be happy. So I'm pushing you to figure out a way to continue your work. 
Whereas I was like, you have no idea what it means to have an events-based nonprofit and can't do anything mm. in COVID. Everyone can pivot virtually. We can't. Our clients don't have access to that technology. And it was a place where it was really beautiful. He pushed me um, in conversations that were really difficult. And it's super easy to just be a supportive husband and be like, whatever you want to do is great, honey. But he was like, I don't think you're going to be happy. So I actually spoke to every board member, every mentor of mine, many close friends, just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, kind of seeing what would stick, what was going to be my next move. Um, and one of the things that I realized was I became quite a good storyteller during COVID to my sister's five kids. <laughs> uh, we lived with my sister and her five kids during COVID, and I told them stories every single night. And I was like, all right, I'm a good storyteller. Uh, so how can we take this need to humanize homelessness and speak to families about this issue? And how do we, you know, how do we morph them? First, it was just going to be one book. And then I realized I wanted to be speaking to both audiences, families living in homes and in shelters. And that's when I, I pivoted to writing two books. Well, it's a gene. First of all, call a kavod to you. I mean, honestly, call a kavod to you. You pick yourself up. And yes, God bless your husband. And that's why he's, as I refer to my husband, as my better half. That's why he's your better half. Correct. But there, <laughs> but there is a there's a tremendous strength that you have inside you. Tremendous to pick yourself up and realize that you still have a calling and you still have an organization that needs you and that there are people out there who need you and there has to be something that you can do. And these two books, I have read them both and frankly, so have my kids because I had them out on the couch over the last couple of days and there was a lot of, mommy, can I read these? And my kids aren't little anymore. And, wow. and I will tell you that my teenage daughter who was in high school cried when she read the books not cried out of sadness but cried out of wow I have a lot I am blessed there are other people who don't have what I have and they don't even have socks and that is a tremendous realization for a kid and you made that happen in my house oh thank you thank you and by the way I want to touch on something that you said um you said that it wasn't out of sadness. And that was really important when I was writing these books, that these weren't sad stories. Right. That these were stories in which both kids and adults can be empowered to create change regardless of how much or how little you have. It's in it, 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 the, Both of those messages come across. You should just know that. The messages come across, and the fact that there is a pair of books right? They come as a pair is so sweet and, but also so genuine that you need both books. And I see the word need in quotation marks, but just like both feet need a sock, you need both of these books. And so I honestly don't even know that, that if the pair of books project wouldn't have happened, if these two books didn't quote unquote come together, if you, if you would have been, a, if your mission here would have been successful, you, you were, you were so um, wise in handling it this way that I don't know if you had one without the other, if it would have worked. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, one thing that's actually really interesting that I don't, I, I don't know if you noticed, but these books are meant for kids, both living in homes and living in shelters. So yes. we have to be really careful in the language that we use. So unfortunately the word homeless carries such a big stigma, right? When we hear the word homeless, we think about our neighbors on the street with a big shopping cart with, cardboard signs, et cetera. And we never would want a kid reading this book to think of themselves as homeless in that way. So 
in neither book did we use the word homeless. In one book, we spoke about our neighbors living on the street. And in the other book, we spoke about a girl moving into a family shelter and talked about what a family shelter was, being very careful uh, to, with our language to not use that word. So, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because that was one of my favorite things when we were writing the books. And actually, in the book, Knock Knock, Where's My Sock, which is about a little girl living in a shelter, we actually worked with families living in shelters. And I was reading the books with kids who were living in shelters. And they were like, nope, that doesn't work. That wouldn't happen there. This would. And it was a really, it was probably one of the most powerful moments during the pandemic, being on Zoom with these kids, working with them on the book. Yeah, you went to the experts. You went to kids. And no one's going to tell it to you like a kid would. Exactly. There's one scene in the book where she's in the shelter cafeteria Mm -hmm. and they're eating meatballs and spaghetti. And in the book originally I wrote, mmm, meatballs and spaghetti, my favorite. And all the kids laughed at me. They're like, the food here is disgusting. (laughs) And we've never gotten meatballs and spaghetti. (sighs) We wish. And so we changed that whole page around together. That's that's great that you listened to their feedback. That is for sure. I, I also want to commend you on the fact that both books end with how you can help. Okay, so we've read these books and we understand them and, and we get both angles. We do, we do. But now you're empowering us as the reader to take our own step forward. And I think that that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and what's What's also exciting, and actually this part isn't mentioned in the book, but, you know, we mentioned how companies or communities or families can conduct soft drives in their home, but also we're offering now companies the opportunity to sponsor these books for families living in shelters Mm. as a corporate sponsorship opportunity as well. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I should also mention, by the way, that the illustrator of the books is Emmy Escott. And while I don't know her personally, um, her illustrations add so much to the story that even without um, even without all the wording in the book and, and even without the storyline itself, the, the, the pictures tell a tremendous, tremendous story. And so if you have children who are really visual learners, who are really the, the kind of kid who just wants to go through a book and maybe reading isn't his or her, st- her strength or maybe they're too young. There's still so much to get from the illustrations. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, actually, this is a fun fact. Emmy Escott, she was so great to work with. I highly recommend her. But you would not believe it. Miriam, she's 19 years old. No. She just finished high school last year. Stop it. Yeah, I swear. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Let's talk quickly about um, where people can get the books and how people can book you on your book tour. Oh, wow. Okay, that's great. So, first of all, our website is a little bit complicated because it's not directly on the Knock Knock website just yet, um, but it's knockknockgiveasock.myshopify.com. Or if you want to get there even more easily, you can go directly to our Facebook page, Knock Knock Give a Sock, or our Instagram page. Um, for Knock Knock Give a Sock, and the link is right there in the bio. Okay, great. And let's talk quickly about your book tour. Your book tour starts, I mean, officially October, correct? Yes. October 4th is our first book reading. And are you doing things in person or everything is via Zoom? So everything's optional. I am fully vaccinated and going to schools. And, of course, we don't charge the schools anything. The books, ideally for grades kindergarten to third grade, that's kind of the sweet spot, uh, five to nine years old, and I'm going to school doing the book reading, and 
Uh, all we ask is that the teachers send an email to their parents being like, hey, this is what your kids read today in school with the link. Uh, and we're also kicking off uh, Mitzvah and Chesed projects along with these books. So after school engages in a book reading, then they're able to do a Chesed project around it where we write letters to neighbors living in shelters, and then they collect stocks in their school. Beautiful. So many opportunities for families, for kids at different ages and at different levels. And it's it's really it's really an incredible thing that you have done, starting as a college student and now pivoting, and now here you are. Kola uh, Kavod to you. I'm always impressed and and frankly astounded when we finish our conversations and we haven't spoken in a while. But I'm astounded by the work that you do and the sensitivity with which you do it. And so I, I literally, I, I wish you continued strength because your strength, your strength is transmitted to so many other people and you should know that. Thank you so much, Miriam. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for really having me here today to share so much about the book. This is my first interview on the book, so it's very exciting. Um, and I forgot to mention, if anyone's interested in a book reading in their school or book tour in their school or synagogue, they, they can email me directly at adina at kkgs.org. Adina, that's with an I, A-D-I-N-A, at, mm-hmm. at kkgs.org. Exactly. Adina, thank you so much for your time today and continued Hatzlacha regards to everyone at home. Thank you so much. Take care. Be well. Take care. Be well. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. A full day of programming continues here at on Isruchag at the Nachum Siegel Network. The live lunch starts in just a few moments, hosted by Nachum Siegel. And then, of course, we have the Arab Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zamek later on today at 7 p.m. tomorrow morning. Join Nachum as he hosts JM and AM at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Joined by Malcolm Holmline at 7.40 a.m. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Two words, Iron Dome. We'll figure out who's for it and who's against it and why. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull, Matzah Shabbos at 9 p.m. Matis hosts JM Sunday, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Sunday morning. We close today. You're not going to believe this one. You're gonna cl- we're going to close today with the Torah Connection by Dove Levine. Yeah. Yep, that's what we're playing today. Those of you who are, who are you know, hearing me say that, I'm like, oh, I haven't heard that song in so long. That's right. That's right. You haven't. But right after Simchas Torah on Isruchag, this is exactly how I'm feeling. We start all over again, and this song totally, totally speaks to me. Shout out to Camp Morishaw in the 80s, and of course to Sandy Sudberg, who is definitely responsible for the fact that I know every word to this song. Sing along at home, folks, because you know you want to. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. about Torah, the answer is easy to see. Torah brings happiness to all those who grasp it. Torah means beauty and peace. The five books of Moses are brimming with roses. Open your eyes and you'll see. We've never lost it. The Torah connection 
happy. It may surprise you to see that it's not always someone who has so much money he can't buy the happiness key. But it is the one who learns Torah and lives it. He knows it's what life's meant to be. We've never lost it, the Torah connection. Me. <laughs>